Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Eric. And this is Track Walking. Uh, this evening, we have a man who spells his first name very odd, um, but everybody knows how to pronounce it once they know. Eric. It's probably his, probably his parents' fault, really. Yeah, it, it's totally my parents' fault. But yeah, Scott's got it right, though. Once you learn it, you rarely forget it. Although I, I do have to give some... Uh, some, uh, I guess, shade to Kyle Heyer, who's uh, announced my name a couple times during the arc. During the, uh, yeah, uh, what's that? Yeah, he says Arik every once in a while. I'm like, dude, you know my name. <laughs> it's not, not it okay. happens every once in a while. Not okay, Kylie. I, yeah. <laughs> what, what can we do there? Yeah, right. Eric. Eric's built with an A, not an E. Get it right. Um, yeah. Has a love of all things small and light. And I do. And is a bit of an engineer and music nerd, which I want to get into later because that yeah, cool. That kind of it, it's interesting to me, like the the amount of things that you have your your hands into. Is yeah, I, I like I like staying busy. My wife thinks I have like far too many hobbies, but you know, if I wasn't doing stuff that keeps me interesting, I'd probably you know be street racing or doing hard drugs or something. So it keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> Some hard drugs might be cheaper than uh, race cars, if we're being honest. Well, especially at Road Atlanta, right? Oh, or not Road Atlanta, Road America this uh, last weekend. Yeah, that was. Everybody's okay. That's, yeah, that, that's the best thing. That is yeah. what we can say about it. Uh, but anyway, welcome, Eric, to the show. Thank you. Um, so you you've been around. How long have you been around Grid Life now? Um, yeah, since probably I think it was the second year. Um, which would have been what 15? 15, I think, yeah, yeah, something, yeah, yeah. I brought my uh, that, that caterum that I've been running in Unlimited for the last couple of years mm-hmm. in the series. I brought it on a shakedown actually to I think it was the second um Midwest event, the festival at uh, at Gingerman in, in 15 or 16 or whatever it was. Um, nice. so I guess, yeah, that was kind of my my start. I've known you know some of the people that com- compete in the series for a little bit longer than that, but um, that's kind of kind of where i started with the, with the series and why i guess at least to me you're you're known for being the lotus guy it's like you yeah, have you, you have a caterham right uh that now has like all the wings all and, the wings um you've got a first gen elise mm-hmm. yep um, yeah that, yeah yellow one that i ran at uh mid ohio this year i've been bringing it to honda meet the last couple of years too but that's uh that's a car that i've had for quite a while 10 12 years so can i even fit in an elise yeah you'd fit yeah you're i mean depending on how long your torso is that's usually the limitation it's funny okay too because i was just at a uh, lotus club event there's a uh local lotus club who holds you know they used to do like two or three events in the area at the Michigan tracks, but they have an end of season event at uh, Grattan that um, just happened this last weekend. And um, I got into a lot of discussions about people who were purchasing Lotuses for the first time, super excited, but then they figured out that they couldn't fit actually with a helmet in the car, you know, for example. I and mean, it's a, actually pretty, you know, <laughs> a pretty common thing. I, I barely fit in my Miata with a helmet on. Yeah. You know, actually that's, that's probably a good, um, 
it's probably a good litmus test. If you can fit in a Miata with a hard top, um, you know, depending on what you did to it. I mean, I don't know if you did like floor lowering and all those tricks or whatever. Yeah, but, didn't, uh, I didn't drop the pan. I probably should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the this bottom of the seat is on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. If you can fit in that, I, you, you'd probably fit in at least my Lotus. I mean, I normally run it top, to, top off, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, I do fit, you know, barely skimming the, the helmet on the, uh, on the soft top when I run it, um, you know, in that configuration, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of reason why I like those kinds of cars is open air motoring has always been kind of a thing of mine. Um, you know, and you know, I, I, I tend to run, uh, you know, that car specifically, and obviously the catering without a, a roof too. It kind of ticks more of those, uh, you know, sensory buttons, I guess, for me, gotcha. um, you know, all the, all the wind noise and all that stuff. So, so does it had, they had an at least two ten at uh, Barbara this weekend when I was there and I was like, yes, the only thing that would make it at least better is cutting the windshield off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and that, that's actually my next project too. I'm working on a Lotus two eleven. If you know what that is, it's a kind of a um, speedster looking version of the Lotus Elise. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and it does not have a windshield. So, you know, that'll, uh, they look cooler. Cars yeah. Look yeah. They do. I mean, it looks more race car ish, right? Nothing wrong with race car. So why, um, so do you have a background in motorcycles then? Like, um, free yeah, not, yeah, not so much motorcycles per se. I mean, I grew up doing motorcycle stuff, go-kart stuff, you know, all the stuff that kids do. Right. You know I mean? I, I grew up in Northern Minnesota. So, um, you know, the way we get, we got our, kept ourselves busy was, uh, you know, going fast and breaking bones basically. Um, you know, so anything that has to do with speed or, mechanical things, you know, especially if they make good sounds. I mean, that's kind of what I've always been interested in. Um, you know, I've broken a couple of bones along the way. My parents always, I think, kind of wished that I would stop wanting to go fast, but I never have, I guess I probably haven't been hurt <laughs> enough to <laughs> at least remember or care as much to, to, to want to stop it. So, yeah, I think it's easier as a kid when you're on your parents' insurance policy. <laughs> So oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, kids are immortal, right? I mean, you don't really think about consequences. I mean, you know, one of my biggest accidents was actually a arm break. I broke both of the bones in my left uh, arm right above my wrist. Um, and the way I did that is uh, I was over at a friend's house, you know, rural Minnesota, you know, kind of rolling hills. Um, the the kid's house that I was at, his dad had a, uh, uh, a, a big um, dump truck. And he would come barreling down this road towards his house. And you could see the smoke clouds from, you know, probably half a mile away because everything was all unpaved. And his dad was coming home and we wanted to do one more race down this hill on these bikes with no brakes. So if you can imagine, we're all lining up. There's like four or five of us on the top of a hill. And, you know, we'd scream, go. And, you know, somebody says, my dad, he's coming. We better hurry up. You know, so we're going down the hill. We see him come over the crest. I did a hard right. And I don't remember anything else. I, I woke up with a broken arm and uh, I probably could have been you know a lot worse off but that was kind of a you know day in the life of me growing up I mean we did a lot of that sort of thing probably a mild concussion along with it when yeah I probably did hit my head because I don't remember <laughs> yeah. much and I should have I think it's usually a good <laughs> yeah, we, indication yeah we didn't really do that when we hit our heads as kids they were like when I hit my head hard enough to to not really know anything they were like well he's not bleeding out his ears so he'll probably be fine yeah exactly and, yeah just you know if he passes out bring him to the hospital is kind of what they said so right, right. Uh, the, the good old days 
Yeah, the good old days. Yeah, so my good old days. So yeah, I grew up in northern Minnesota, as I mentioned. I moved to East Tennessee, of all places. My dad's a dentist, and he sold a practice that he had in northern Minnesota. It's kind of hard to make a buck, um, you know, fixing people's teeth when there's no people around. Um, yeah. So he bought a practice down in East Tennessee, and I lived there from kind of middle of my teen years through middle of my 20s. Um, then I moved to the Midwest um, outside of Detroit, uh, Michigan, and 2000 or actually no 1999 yeah time flies i guess but yeah january 1999 just after we got married uh, me and my wife we got married actually probably about 18 months before that we moved uh up to detroit suburbs and we've been here ever since dang minnesota man that's a long yeah that's a long way away yeah it is yeah have you spent time up there though scott i mean if it's if it's an abstract place on a map that's not quite the same as I've oh, it's an ab- it's an abstract place in real life too. Yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I've been to Brainerd. That is, I think, the only thing that's ever taken me through. Oh, there you go. Minnesota. At BIR. Or- yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've been to that track a couple times. Not actually. I'm. I've only been back to Minnesota like once or twice since I moved. Um, but that is a track that I've been to. Not as a driver though, because I think it was like probably 14 or 15 at the time. But uh, Brainerd was actually in our school system, if that kind of gives you an idea of where I grew up. Yep. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, out of the way. That's literally all I know. I was going to say, that's fairly developed. Like, you keep going north, and you sort of run out of humans. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah, well, like the town that I grew up in, I mean, there was 400 people in the town. And yeah. our nearest neighbor was like three miles away. So. Jeez. You know, it's, uh, yeah, you, you slowly run out of people. You start running into more bears and moose and swamps and all that stuff (laughs) so what um so i guess kind of the daredevil like let's just go do dumb stuff with dumb friends and see what happens sort of thing what was your first car like what was your first like car that was or experience with cars that like really kind of planted the seed yeah. Yeah. I think actually for me, it started more with two wheeled um, stuff. I mean, you mentioned uh, motorcycles. It actually started with bicycling. Um, I, I, I did a lot of uh, competitive bicycle racing when I was in high school and then did some mountain biking um, when I was in college too. And then meanwhile, you know, I've always been kind of mechanically oriented. I mean, I was always a kid that was, you know, playing with, uh, um, you know, rector sets and, you know, learning drafting on my own when I was a early teen, that kind of thing, um, which brought me to engineering, right? I mean, that's what my, my formal training is in. Um, but, you know, so I mean, generally like a love of mechanical things. I mean, I'd have to say, you know, in the motorsports is probably just the speed aspect of things that we talked about before. And then also my dad, you know, growing up, I mean, he's a pretty handy guy. I mean, even though he's a dentist, I mean, he started off as an electrical engineer and he's very practical and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I worked on a lot of, uh, you know, lawn equipment, cars, you know, that kind of stuff growing up. So I kind of had an affinity for, uh, uh, for that just, you know, probably because I was exposed to it so early in life. And, you know, if you believe in the nature versus nurture thing, I probably got a little bit of my, from my dad too. Oh, for sure. um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. But, um, I know there's a bunch of different kind of bicycle racing. What kind of bike racing did you actually get yeah. into? Yeah, I did um, Yeah, road cycling. Some I mean, of your classic kind of 10 speed, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, now they have what, like 20, 25 speeds. Too, or many, too many gears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Too many gears. Although, you know, gears are good. 
helps you with that uh, mechanical advantage. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was road cycling, um, when I was in my teens and then in college, it was more mountain biking. I went to, um, my undergrad in uh, East Tennessee, um, in Knoxville, uh, university of Tennessee, and there's all sorts of hills and mountains and stuff there. So I got, you know, hooked up with a group of friends, you know, high school friends, college friends, and we'd go out, you know, probably two or three times a week and, uh, and, and go in the hills next to like Oak Ridge National Labs, if you know where that is, um, you know, outside of Knoxville. It's a pretty area. Some good trails out there. Yeah, very pretty. So bikes and then. Bikes and then, yeah, and then cars actually pretty, pretty soon after. Well, I mean, you know, back then, right? I mean, there was no phones and stuff. So, you know, what did everybody want on their 16th birthday was a car or something to, yep. to play with. So, you know, I was shopping around for cars, you know, thinking I'd buy like a 911 or something like that for my first car, of course, right? <laughs> um, you know, when I was 14, 15 year old, years old, and, you know, I ended up, uh, what did I, what did I, my first car, I ended up buying an Audi 4000. Um, sounds kind of fancy, but I mean, it was like a 72 horsepower front wheel drive turd. Oh, basic. could barely make it up, uh, you know, hills with more than two people in the car. Um, uh, but, uh, um, I, I've always like been, I've always watched racing. I mean, my parents were never really into it, nor any of my brothers, but, uh, you know, if I could steal the remote for the TV, I was watching, um, you know, IMSA races or Pikes Peak, you know, which is kind of one of my passions, I guess, you know, from a racing standpoint, uh, or indie races, you know, I mean, whatever they showed in the eighties, basically, yeah. um, you know, that was my, that was my thing. So that, that's kind of where it all started. And you said you wanted to buy a Porsche initially. Why, yeah. like, why was that on your bedroom wall? Why a Porsche? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what really attracted me to Porsche as a brand. Um, it was probably more the engineering than anything. And the fact that you could find a lot of technical literature on Porsches back, you know, before the days of the internet. I mean, you could go to the library and you could, you know, find service manuals with all these crazy detailed drawings on 911s and stuff. So, you know, I got to know those uh, you know, the different, um, generations of 911s by, you know, just the looks of the parts on drawings, you know, when I was, uh, an early teen. Um, so that, that's probably just access, you know, to that sure. information and, uh, you know, kind of becoming familiar with it. And, you know, I'm kind of a history buff too. So I started, you know, collecting books about, uh, you know, Porsche racing history and, you know, then kind of expanded into different marks like BMW was another one that I really liked for a while. And then I discovered English cars. Um, you know, they're always kind of on the periphery, but, uh, you know, those really resonated for me too. I mean, kicked off by saying, you know, I like lightweight things. Um, you know, I think as an engineer, I, I tend to think in efficiency terms, you know, and if you can do the same with less, to me, that's winning. Sure. Um, you know, because I mean, you know, and I, and I guess from a practical standpoint, too, I mean, I say this quite a bit, but, you know, the, the caterum that I run um, in grid life or, or the Elise, I mean, you know, I, I never change brake pads on those things, never change, you know, calipers. Um, you know, seals or rotors or anything like that. I mean, it's, you know, basically normal maintenance and, you know, replacing tires when they heat cycle out because they typically don't wear out either, which you know, I, I find, uh, you know, I guess uh, it's a way to make motorsport a little bit more enjoyable because I hate working on cars at the track. Um, you know, so showing up and being able to run basically what you brought for 20, 30 minute sessions, not having to worry about uh, overheating or breaking down and that kind of thing. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I've kind of stuck with smaller cars um, over the years. So I have a working theory and you can put this to bed or not. 
Um, because I, I too like simplicity. I like lightness. Like if you can get rid of it, like if you don't need it, just get rid of it sort of thing. Right. Even if you know, you might need it later, just get rid of it. Yeah. Do you find that your attraction to kind of the whole add lightness and simplicity thing to cars, does that bleed over into the rest of your life? Like, do you like to get rid of things at home? Do you like things to be sparse? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think I want to, but I have, you know, like you said before, I have a lot of interest. So I end up collecting a lot of things over time. And, sure. you know, my, my wife, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll get a kick out of this one, Scott. So I, my, uh, um, you know, lately I've been purchasing like one or two of the canvas prints that, uh, um, Rob Wilkinson does from his mm. photography at the different grid life events, yeah. you know, just, I have some memento, you know, for a year kind of thing, you know, just, I can remember, you know, what the car looked like on track that year or something, you know, so I have a collection of like five or six of them now. And, you know, I'm kind of figuring out where I'm going to put them on a, on a wall in the basement. My, my wife uh, did a mini intervention today and she walked up and she goes, I think you've been purchasing too many prints for your car. So, so I think in, in some ways I, I I'm, I'm not a sparse person, you know, and she would probably, you know, retort with I'm a hoarder or something, you know, cause I have car parts out the wazoo and, you know, I'm, a, I'm also a gun collector of, of all things. So I, I've always been a big fan of military pattern firearms and, you know, probably another kind of mechanical thing. Right. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I tinker around with uh, building guns and that kind of stuff in the winter when the, when the, uh, when the garage is too cold. So, so I guess, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question though. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, but I like sparse stuff or simple things in my car life for whatever reason, but the rest of my life is almost the opposite. Okay. okay. That's fair. <laughs> you seem to be pretty good at holding on to cars. Is that true? I mean, you, yeah. you said you've had the, at least for got longer than I've ever had anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I first started getting into cars and, you know, I mean, we've all made the list of cars that we've owned over the years, right. You know, when those Facebook challenges come up from time to time and I've, I've owned something like 37 cars or something, but in the last probably 10 years or so, I've, I've, uh, I've hung on to a lot more than I used to. And I don't know if that's just a, you know, matter of like my taste maturing or, you know, just getting older and, you know, a little bit less excited about, you know, doing project cars and that kind of thing, which I still do. I mean, I still have, you know, more projects than I probably should, but uh, I, I do tend to tend to hold on to the cars a little longer than I used to. I'll chalk it up to age. <laughs> you and uh, you and Seth have a lot to, to talk about, about having many vehicles that. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be better. That's, <laughs> that's the only, it's all, all you can do, right? Just try to be better every day. As a person, it's what Jabe says all the time. Just be better. Just yeah. be better. Yeah. So yeah, no. That's whenever I, I talk to a track guy, he's like, "No, I've had this for like twelve years." I'm like, "How? How? How could you possibly have a track car for twelve years?" That blows my mind. Yeah. Although, um, I mean, you know, track cars from that perspective, I mean, they, they get better with time. And what I mean by that is, if you're using them you know, and you want to go fast or do whatever with, I mean, you're typically developing the car, right? I mean, like my Caterham, for example, when I first took it out to Gingerman, I was running like, you know, mid to high 140s, you know, and I was pretty happy with that at the time. And that car is running like, you know, 12 seconds faster than that now. I mean, I got it down to like 135 something last year. Um, So, you know, and, 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 and that's, something that I like to do too. I mean, it's kind of my, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of an avocation, but, you know, I have a, 
you know, kind of a side business, my LLC that I do some consulting, um, you know, engineering and other kind of chassis development work um, for mainly, but uh, um, I, I like doing car development. I like making things faster and, you know, hanging on to things for a longer period of time gives you a better opportunity to do that, especially if you're um, time limited on the stuff that you can do for yourself. Um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I tend to kind of balance my own car stuff with the stuff that I do on the side. Um, you know, along with the regular day job and all the other things I do too, but, uh, it, you know, I, I get some satisfaction out of car development over time as well. So what, what do you do for money? What is your, what's your day job? Yeah. My primary source of income, I work for Sirius satellite radio. Um, and I have for gosh, almost 21 years now. Um, that was actually the job that I, they're that old, aren't they? What's that? They're that old, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, the funny thing is they had just, um, they had just changed their name to Sirius salary. That's the side of the company. I mean, we've merged now with XM, you know, for what, like 11, 12 years or so, but uh, I joined with Sirius right after the name change. Um, before that they were CD radio you know, uh, probably, you know, it wasn't the best name in the world, but uh, so they changed to Sirius radio and, and uh, kind of on a lark, I went to a job interview. Um, you know, this was back in the early two thousands, you know, before the first dot com bubble burst and my desk phone um, at the job that I had at the time, which was the one that brought me up um, at Panasonic uh, electronics. I did audio system development for them for a number of years. Um, then I did some liaison work, uh, uh, for them, you know, kind of working with all the different car manufacturers, OEMs in the <clears throat> in the Detroit area, which is is interesting too, because you know the culture's um, so different. But anyway, um, back to the point, I was getting a lot of calls from uh, headhunters at the time, um, you know, wanting to place uh, you know engineers in, in in different positions, and I stopped answering the phone because they were all headhunters. And one day, just out of uh, habit, I picked up the receiver on my desk phone. And there was a lady and I had just gotten done listening to, I think it was a uh, little spot on NPR or something about uh, a company called CD radio. And I'm like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Cause she was obviously talking about one of the two companies in the CD or the satellite radio sphere. So on a, on a lark, I went to a job interview and the rest is history. Cause <laughs> I've, I've been doing it for uh, 21 years now. So that, that's my, that's a long, long response to your simple question, but that's, uh, that's what I do for, uh, for an income, uh, primarily. I mean, my LLC doesn't really pay for itself. I mean, I'm trying to kind of, you know, build it into something that I can maybe do as kind of a retirement job, um, you know, cause I get a lot of personal enjoyment out of it, as I've mentioned, but, um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, it comes close to paying for itself over the last couple of years, which is nice, you know, it, uh, you know, offsets some expenses, but, um, you know, definitely not a way to, to make a living. I mean, motorsports is, <laughs> you know, hard, uh, vocation to make a living in regardless of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, man. If yeah, if it would even pay for itself, that'd be huge. But yeah, if you oh, just know, don't right? hemorrhage quite as much, I mean, that's almost a win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you can offset offset any expenses, I think you're doing well. <laughs> for sure. And that's um, that's Speed Street. Yeah, Speed Street LLC. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're doing plugs or not, but I have a website, Speed Street LLC. You can get in contact with me there. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I do just kind of general engineering consulting. I mean, my you know, primary thing is chassis development, um, you know, but I also do some, uh, 
you know, design consulting and, uh, you know, on track uh, work, you know, car testing and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, similar to um, what you and Becky do, you know, from a, you know, kind of a tire management perspective, you know, in a lot of ways, sure. I mean, cause you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the tire is the only thing that hits the road, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, like you can tell so much, you know, by looking at tires, looking at temps, looking at wear, looking at heat, um, uh, you know, profiles across tread patterns and that kind of thing. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of an integral part of actually doing chassis development um, on track. I mean, there's the paper side, you know, the math side that I, that I also, uh, you know, get, get involved with, but, you know, actually proving that out on the track and learning how to use, you know, the, the, you know, the things that you have at your disposal at the track, um, you know, is, uh, you know, key to, to, to improving cars and, you know, tires go up go a big way, you know, down, uh, down that path of understanding how things work. So you mentioned Pike's peak earlier, and I think I already know yeah. the answer to this question, but like, uh, what's the coolest Pike's peak thing you get to mess around with? Yeah. Well, yeah, it would have to be the NV8 hypercar, um, uh, Cody Loveland's, uh, crazy beast. Um, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just got a, I just got a pop up on my screen here. It said we were we, the uh, the host is uh, purchased additional minutes or something like that. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, a little distracted. But, we'll just roll but, it. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah. So Pike Speak. So you know, NV, uh, NV8 Hypercar. Cody Loveland's been working on this thing in concept probably since um, his first time there in 2012. That's around the time when I got to. Uh, meet him. He's somewhat local to me. He's about three hours north. But um, you know, I was always kind of a Pikes Peak fan growing up because uh, you know, and it was probably just because of where I I grew up. Um, there wasn't a lot of TV, so when you could find motorsports coverage, you pretty much took what you could get. And for whatever reason, the Canadian broadcast covered Pikes Peak really heavily in the '80s. Um, you know, so I, I would watch that every summer. And uh, so I got interested in that, you know, as an event, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, because it is kind of a, it harkens back to like the old days of motorsports where, you know, there wasn't a lot of rules and there was a lot of innovation and that kind of thing. And depending on the class you're running in Pike Speak, I mean, that's really still the case. I mean, especially an unlimited class where the NBA lives um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the thing, as long as you're meeting the, uh, safety rules, you know, pretty much the sky's the limit. So, I mean, that thing's, you know, extremely crazy. I mean, you know, one of the things I do in you know, my consulting work is I do uh, lap time and course time simulations, um, and kind of put into perspective, you know, since everybody likes talking gingerman lap times, um, you know, if that car was fully developed, I mean, it would probably turn a one fifteen or less, um, at gingerman, which, you know, would be what? seven eight seconds better than the overall track record well, i was right about now. to say the uh overall holder is still will i young in his yep. civic which did a 123 yeah 1238 as i recall yeah and um yeah so i mean you know the car fast. is wicked right i mean it's got a potential of way north of a uh, thousand horsepower um the latest version of it you know sequential flat shift uh you know uh, bespoke SATEV gearbox, you know, all the arrow, right? I mean, you guys have probably both seen it. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a prototype type car, you know, Lamont prototype car on steroids with all the wings and, and all that stuff, which is kind of an interesting part too, um, you know, that whole project. I've gotten to meet a lot of people, um, you know, through Cody because of that project, uh, two F1 engineers who consult on it, one who did the body design and all the uh, aero and CFD work. Um, they actually both uh, currently work for uh, Alfa Romeo, on their uh, um, F1 team, uh, previously Sauber. And then, uh, and then another cool part of being involved with that pr project is I got to uh, 
meet and uh, become pretty good uh, friends with uh, Paul Gerard, who's the uh, U.S. Stig um, from Top Gear. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the opportunities presented themselves and I kind of ran with it and did a lot of work with Cody on uh, refining the original car. And, you know, we're working on the, you know, the second car, getting it up and running um, you know, for this last event this year. Not a lot of testing time, but, uh, you know, through the remainder of the year and the beginning of next year, we're hoping to do a lot of development work to get it really on pace so it can do some uh, hopefully exciting things at, at Pikes Peak in 2022. So to connect back what you said about purchasing canvas art from Rob Wilkinson. Yeah. Um, he took what I think are probably the greatest photos in grid life history at the meet that shouldn't be talked about. Right. With uh, Becky driving Mooncake, the Mazda okay. 2. Okay, yeah, yeah. And me in the passenger seat, seeing Rob coming around, and we were coming around turn three. I stuck my hand out, did the did the rockers, did the horns. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and, that was an awesome picture, man. And <laughs> the NV8 hypercar. <laughs> oh, it's behind you, right? Coming or was up it behind it? it. Yeah, yeah, I totally remember that picture now. Yeah. That, 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 you got to get that one. Uh, Abs framed if you have absolutely <laughs> i think yeah i'm gonna try to do a design but i actually made a gif out of like the five or six pictures of it oh nice coming around it's it's a pretty amazing ridiculous photo that kind of sums up like the absurdity that is grid life at, yeah at exactly all, yeah at, yeah that, that's a good kind of summation of uh yeah all, all the all the different feels right yeah you know? all all it, <laughs> all awesome. it needed was like a concert in the background or something like that was right. like maybe the only thing that was missing. Yeah. Or, or the new Jabuddy puppet that everybody's oh taking God. pictures of, which is awesome by the way. I, I love that. I was sworn to so much secrecy a while ago and that puppet Seth, did you see that? I did. Okay. And I was equally joyed and, and horrified briefly. I was like, what is happening? Oh wait, that's amazing. It's and it was like designed and built by a proper puppet. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks like something off of like the Muppet Show, you know that kind of thing. I mean, if uh, if, if uh, you know, I mean, I know I'm a little bit older than you guys, but you probably remember the oh, yeah. <laughs> the Muppet Show. I mean, that's like a legit it, puppet. I mean, it, that's uh, impressive stuff. It may or may not have been designed by people around that whole thing. Really it's, nice, and it was really cool. Yeah, and he was really excited because he was gonna have like. The, the flag in his hand, you know, but then you could take the flag away if you just wanted him to talk. And it, oh right, gosh, right. it's just, it was so amazing. Yeah. Epic. I love it. <laughs> so who was the brainchild behind that? Was that a Chris thing oh, or yeah. was that a, yeah, as a Chris that, thing for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Line, line of March to follow. I'm sure. Um, oh, I'm sure. We've, yeah. we've been trying actually for well over a year to get Chris Stewart to make grid life leggings. Um, I don't know why he hasn't, to be honest. He'd probably sell the hell out of them. I know Becky would probably buy like 10 pair. I so, mean, you know. I mean, Becky just wanted, initially just wanted a logo that she was going to design one and just yeah. buy it herself. And Chris is like, no, 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 let, let me do it. Let me do it. And it kept kicking down. And then, you know, he's like, so I've got this puppet thing happening and maybe we could do <laughs> puppet leggings. And it's like, just kept like... <laughs> just kept like escalating every single time 
That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that would be, if Chris is listening, he should totally do the legging thing. I mean, he'd, he'd make a mint. Absolutely. For, for doing that. Yeah. yeah. I know some dudes who would buy some, but oh, for sure, yeah. there'd be a bunch of us walking around in very <laughs> tight pants, and that sounds okay. Yeah, well, that's that's the trend, right? I don't I don't get really get these tight pants thing, I and mean, it's kind of not my style. But yeah. uh, you know, I'd have take to, it to the next level. I'd have to wear like the dad hoodie to come down to like my knees just to yeah. feel okay about walking around. Yeah, I, I would have to say I'd, I'd be very similar in that regard. Now, <laughs> if they came out with puppet Jabay leggings. Oh, dude, I'd rock that. I I feel like I would have to. Yeah, it's it's like a given, right? I mean, you know, just take my money and do a photo shoot or something. For an event or two, Paddock would be weird. It would. Yeah, can you you imagine if that that actually happened? Like, the you know, the new people that show up, they're like, what the heck is up with these guys? (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd be instructing in Jabay, puppet Jabay leggings, and be like, no, 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 what you really need to do is this. And they're like... Dude, I cannot take you seriously with <laughs> Puppet Jabay on your butt. <laughs> Sorry. That's I'm, awesome. just, I'm just thinking, like, you show up to an event and there's, like, 30 dudes wearing yeah. matching leggings. Yeah, probably at least two-thirds of them having no business wearing any no. leggings, right? Yeah. You know, you gotta well, it's the people who put, don't. Put that visual together. Yeah, it's, it's the people who don't have a business wearing them who would absolutely wear them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the nude beach, uh, paradigm, right. You know, the people that are walking around naked probably shouldn't be and the rest of them aren't <laughs> see. And, and in my mind, because I, I got a visual over the weekend, Jake Jorgenstad would absolutely have a pair and would probably wear like his American flag suspenders there you with go. them T- shirtless, of course, because shirtless, that's of course. How Jake... and probably somewhat sauced if I, if I know Jake well, Possibly, and, Possibly? Okay. and also wearing his American flag helmet uh, just around. I think that's a photo shoot waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, good stuff. That's really banner material there. Absolutely. I need to go to more events. That's... <laughs> <laughs> they all have a different vibe, and they're all, like, unique, right? I mean, I can think of, you know, I've been to far fewer events than you have, Scott, obviously, for Grid Life, but... Uh, um, you know, I, I can remember almost every single one of them just because of the different vibes and the different people and who your paddock next to. And, you know, if you had a, if you had a Jabay legging event, I think that one would be one that a lot of people would remember for a long time. If nothing else, one of the two quieter track days that grid life does, I think that would be perfect to, there you uh, go. to just get together and have a plan before we got there. Yeah, I like that. I'm I'm part of that plan if uh, if that happens. I'll keep you in the loop. All right, awesome, dude. <laughs> um, so you have an unlimited class because you like slicks. A Caterham Seven, which mm-hmm. is a replica of the Lotus Seven, open yep. seater, very rearward seating position, super long hood. Yeah. Um. And it has a dual element wing in the back mm-hmm. and a triple in the triple front. in the front. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, what is powering that thing? Cause I'm, I, I don't feel like I actually know. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a Rover K series. Um, you know, Rover obviously an English car maker. I mean, they're one of you know a number of engine suppliers that have uh, supplied Caterham over the years for their factory cars. Um, you know, and then you know, just to clarify too, and not to be too much of a pedant, but uh, you know, the Caterham is actually the licensed Lotus Seven copy. It's the only licensed one. Please um, get on know. me. And which I say, you know, not, you know, because of some sort of snobbery, it's just, you know, it's got that lineage and that history. And I mean, gotcha. you can buy parts from like 1980s cars and still, you know, um, the majority of them will fit on my car, for example. Um, but uh, yeah, so over the years, since like the mid seventies, or I think it was like 73 or so since Caterham, you know, licensed the, the seven from Lotus, um, they've, they've had a number of engine manufacturers. Rover was one that supplied to them for probably the longest time, like mid eighties to mid nineties. Um, so it's, it's called the K series. It's nothing like the Honda K, um, very different construction. It's very lightweight motor. It's a 1.8 uh, liter uh, dual overhead cam. It's got dry sump and ITBs and all that stuff. It doesn't make a whole lot of power. Um, it's about 185 um, at the crank, um, you know, 170 at the wheel kind of thing. But, but uh, but the car it, weighs how much? Yeah, car, car weighs eleven hundred pounds. Yeah, so so with uh, actually no, it's closer to twelve hundred actually now with all the aero and the and the bigger tires and wheels that I'm running on it uh, for the last couple of years. So with me in it, it's sub fourteen hundred. Um, you know, so even with like one hundred seventy horsepower, it's still got like a, like an eight eight to one power ratio. So I mean, it's not you know like anywhere close to like the four to five to one power to weight ratio that the top guys in Unlimited are running, but uh, it's quick. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll do, uh, one of the events that I run and I've run, been running for three or four years now is Empire Hill Climb. Um, and going up a hill, um, and probably not having ever been on that hill, um, you'll have to trust me on this, but it's, it's pretty steep even off the line and it'll do like sub, uh, four seconds to 60, um, you know, from a stop. So I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty quick low car. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So how, Everything I know about those, when you don't slather wings all over them, they're kind of horrific from an aero standpoint. Yeah, they are. Like they're yeah, super they dirty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they have they have more absolute drag um, than like a Corvette, for example. Even though they're tiny. I mean, if you've ever seen one, I mean, Scott Scott walked up to me when I was on on grid. I think at the last uh, yeah. Gingerman event, and I think the first thing you said is, "Damn, this thing's small," or something to that effect. You, you really, I mean, you. You see them in pictures, and you can even see like somebody standing next to one in a picture. But until you go to talk to someone who is strapped into one, yeah, to, like, like it's not just like me on my knees; it's me like basically sitting on the ground uh, on your butt, yeah. yeah. And then you're the same high, head yes. level as me sitting in the car, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can literally drag my knuckles on the ground if uh, if I reach out the the side of the cockpit. So we'll, it's uh, we'll save the comments tiny little there. car. <laughs> about the knuckle dragging knuckle dragging yeah there you go um yeah we've actually talked like with a car that light uh even with the aero help like getting tires up to temperature and like getting heat into them is genuinely difficult oh yeah and and that is the huge problem especially with like uh time attack events um you know because the car is pretty quick right so it's usually running in the first group um you know usually up you know, towards the top, I mean, you know, 10th, 11th, maybe 15th out of like 20 or 25 cars um, in a run group. And, you know, those, those fast guys typically have cars that aren't super reliable, right? So, you know, it's pretty common to get, 
you know, black flag event or, you know, oil down or something, you know, during a 20 minute session. So it's extremely rare that I get a full, you know, session of seven or eight laps out of that thing. And it, it literally, I mean, you'd laugh if you saw the lap time progression, if I'm out on track, it's literally like a half second, every lap until the last lap I'm on track. Um, you know, so it's, it's been kind of a challenge, um, you know, and, and in a very you know, strict sense of, uh, you're running that car and, uh, in time attack specifically, you're trying to, uh, heat manage your tires, especially like the end of season events. Um, like I was looking back at my uh, Facebook memories. I think they showed up like yesterday, the day before, like last year's season ender event. I mean, it was like 30 degrees and raining. I mean, I was like four or five seconds off pace just cause I couldn't get any heat in the tires whatsoever. So that's definitely a challenge on, 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 uh, on those lighter weight cars, even with the arrow. Well, like I said, I think uh, I think you're the perfect car to introduce tire warmers to. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I do have tire warmers, and I have run them before, not at a grid life event. I've run them at a at a um, at a hill climb, but uh, yeah, if I had a little bit bigger crew, that would totally be me. And I think I'm probably going to end up having to go down that path for next year because um, uh, what what I did this year and it kind of ruined the end of the season for me is uh, um, I blew my clutch up, and the way I blew my clutch up. Um, it's a race, you know, single disc, you know, race clutch, you know, kind of fragile, you know, no springs or anything like you that. In it. And I, so I smoked it at uh, Empire Hill Climb, but I think it was already um, damaged before that because I was doing little mini burnouts, um, you know, on the grid at, uh, at, at the grid life events, you know, getting a little bit of side eye from Adam and, and other people. <laughs> Um, you know, obviously, but like I've spun out on more outlaps than I want to admit, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, so yeah, so tire warmers, especially for the rear tires on that thing. I think that's probably going to be a thing that I end up having to do next year. If I, if I run it, uh, at, at events again, which I'm planning on. So, I mean, for your car, I, I genuinely almost see that almost as, uh, as much safety thing as it is a go fast thing. Uh, the tire warmers yeah oh absolutely yeah i mean yeah i think it was uh, it was actually last year's season closer event um the last session of the last day you know i really wanted to get a, a decent lap time so i was aggressively warming up my tires on the outlap and uh, josh halko was right behind me and i spun out right in front of him um going into the kink between uh turn four and uh uh, I guess it would be yeah, three right, you know, right at turn five between turn four and turns. Uh, actually, no, hold on. It'd be turn my four. turns wrong. Turn turn four <laughs> yeah. is the kink between three and five. Yeah, the, the, between three and five. So I guess that's turn four. Yeah, like right before, uh, right before that, I spun out right in front of him, and and I do remember tire noise when he had to step on the brakes. So yeah, I mean, you know, and that's something that I I, I think about usually not when I'm in the car, because when I'm driving, I'm driving, you know, I don't really think about, you know, consequences unless something's obviously unsafe on track, but, um, you know, thinking about those kind of events, um, or instances, I should say on track. I mean, you know, I'm a third of the weight of a lot of the cars out there and my body's literally the first thing that's going to get hit if somebody hits me. So, yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's a, a good way to kind of summarize another reason why, uh, tire warmers would probably be in my, my near future at, uh, at events, if I can get some people to help me, uh, you know, lift the thing up and down, uh, you know, to, to be able to put the warmers on. Well, your other advantage is if you use them religiously throughout the day, then one day ends up being essentially one heat cycle. At the yeah. Tires. Good point. Yeah, so it yeah. really does. That's one of the reasons the bike guys use them, um, yep. is because they'll, 
they're like, that's it. The, you know, because a lot of motorcycles, the tire, the tires will heat cycle out before they wear out yep. and yeah. you can do an entire day and it's one heat cycle on the tires. And they, yeah. it's not a true one-to-one, but it's way better than being hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold all day. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Really yeah, sell it. Put them on warmers and yeah. Sell it to people is really a money saving thing. I mean, to everybody, no, I'm just, I'm really just saving money. That's all I'm doing here. Yeah. 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 Even though I'm running my generator 24 hours a day doing that. um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's that. That's that's a problem. Yeah. yeah, That's another good point. I've heard uh, motorcyclists saying that before, like race guys. And I I hadn't really equated that to my situation, but it's really similar, right? In a way. So just put the warmers on medium and leave them cooking you know, all day long. And that would probably, uh, do a lot of things, right. It would probably make the tires last longer and it would be to Scott's point safer for everybody involved. <laughs> there you go. Done next year, 2022. All right. Yeah. That's, that's my off season strategy. You just, you just fix it for me get my clutch fixed yep. and get my tire warmer, uh, um, you know, machinations with, uh, I'll, I'll probably have to hire a couple crew crew members, but you know, <laughs> I want to see you uh, in the off season design good, uh, mechanical lifts so you come in and people just slide them under the car and whoop, pop yeah, you right you up in the air. Yeah. None, of this, yeah. none of this hydraulic yeah, the, jack nonsense i want to see something just, yeah. like cool yeah. race car yeah. yeah i actually thought about doing that with uh, like a motorcycle lift before you know like the center lift things that you can buy that have basically just the pull down handle you can bolt yeah lift your bike up so I, I might end up doing something like that you know go to harbor freight and you know find something that's close and spend the winter grinding and welding and putting something together. Yeah. Cause that would be the way to do it. Cause I mean, getting that car up, especially with the front wing on it now is kind of a pain. Right. Um, so yeah, an easy way to just slide something underneath the body, you know, the, the belly pan, basically lift the car. That might be a, might be a good idea. See, this is awesome. We got together and now you guys are helping me strategize for next year. <laughs> See now, great. now you guys have me thinking because like I want air jacks because air jacks are cool, but it's a lot of welding and a lot of, designing and stuff but yeah that because we have our car up a fair bit just because yeah you do yeah i think every time i walk by your car i think i've seen it on the ground like once and that was when you were on your way to grid i mean it seems like it's always in the air (laughs) we we like checking things because we've had experiences (laughs) and yeah yeah okay i'm gonna be okay anyway yeah we'll yeah we'll we'll talk offline maybe we can figure out a, a way to to uh to design something to work with both of our cars. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty dope to be honest. And I know Mickey would appreciate that for sure because my, my poor pinch welds, my poor pinch welds are just absolutely flat up. Oh, I bet. It's uh, pretty bad. I bet. Yeah. I like, I like these ideas. I'm thinking of motorcycle stuff again, and I'm thinking, you know, you can lift, whatever 450 pound sport bikes up with just the, the paddock stands, just yeah. the leverage of rolling them into place. And yeah. it wouldn't take, I mean, your car really wouldn't take any more than that. Right. Right. Um, Scott's Scott car is a little heavier, a little heavier but the, the little bit of leverage, a little bit of mechanical linkage in there. Yes, One under no, each side is, of the car, click, click, it's in the air. Which, it's its own self-supporting. Yeah. I like this. If we can yeah. like acknowledge the fact that my, Miata, which is like twenty two fifty without me in it, we're considering is the heavy car, the heavy vehicle yeah. in this conversation. <laughs> right. I think yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you're not talking to uh, you know, like Ferris or one of those no. guys that's running like a you know almost almost four thousand pound car. If you're talking about a Miata and it's heavy, 
<laughs> or, or even the Fortners who have yeah. that um that S four um Audi that yeah the, man the that thing's got to be heavy. I, oh. I, I meant to ask them how much their running weight was at the last event, but I didn't get a chance to. I want to say it's in the mid to high threes. I bet it is. Yeah. And then you got the, you know, I mean, they, they show up from time, time to time, like the GT 500, uh, you know, Mustangs, those things are way over 4,000 pounds, yep. you know, from the factory. So yeah, there's definitely grades of what makes heavy and light on cars for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what are your plans for future, endeavors automotively speaking um yeah we, we, we talked um, about you know just some some pet projects on the caterham but um yeah 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 so i i have uh, another project that i've started recently it's um i mentioned it just briefly but it's that uh, lotus 211 um you might have seen some pictures that i posted over the last like year or so but i, I, I picked so. up a bear uh Lotus Elise chassis from uh, Derek Yarbrough's buddy out in uh, Texas of all places. So you and, know uh, it's Adam, shady. What's that? So you know it's shady. Yeah, you know it's shady. Yeah, and I, and I know the guy. I've gotten to know the guy that I bought it from. He he, he races uh, Elise in the uh, um, time trials for NASA out in uh, in uh, you know Western states, mostly Texas. But um, yeah, so I, so I got that chassis. Um, I I bought uh, that. Screamer NA K25, I guess it would be. It's a four piston motor that, um, uh, it was, that was in uh, Alex Moss's uh, Super K for a mm -hmm. season, I think, maybe part of a season. Yep. Um, wasn't quite getting it for them from a power perspective. So they went a different direction with turbos and all that. But uh, I ended up picking up that motor from them. And that was kind of the, uh, the genesis of this idea to make, uh, you know, competitive, you know, lightweight you know, really competitive, lightweight, uh, uh, time attack car. I mean, I could probably run it in, uh, in unlimited, but it would fit into uh, track mod as well. Um, depending on how I, I set it up from a, a shifting standpoint. Um, so that, that was kind of the genesis of that. So I got the sequential transmission for it. I found a body set Jeez. panel set out in California. Lumen, um, is supposed to be helping me get back from, uh, from California on one of the trips he's making out there. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's a project. So we'll see when that one happens. I really wanted to get it running um, over the winter and, you know, start, uh, you know, fielding it next year in the grid life events, but with supply chain and all that stuff, the way it is now, I'm, I'm literally waiting for parts from England, you know, and that I've ordered almost a year ago. So it's probably going to be another year before I get that one done. Jeez. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's one project. Um, you know, and of course, uh, you know, the, the beastie hatchback, you know, that I kind of co-own with, uh, with Cody, that's always kind of waiting in the wings for the next, you know, big upgrade. We've been kind of working on, uh, on the side, a uh, real world drive uh, hybrid system for that car. Um, so we're piecing together, uh, you know, basically a direct uh, uh, drive um, system for the two rear, rear wheels on that car. Um, with some batteries that are uh, from a company that um, supplied the batteries to the uh, Palatov. Dennis Palatov does oh, those yeah. uh, you know, crazy EV cars yeah. and, you know, historically, you know, smaller kind of lighter weight cars. I've known him for a number of years too, but uh, when he did uh, an EV car for, um, I think it was in 2017, his first EV car for, uh, uh, for Pike's Peak. Um, no, actually it wasn't 17, it was 19. I guess regardless, but, uh, so, so that, that battery supplier is doing some batteries for us and, you know, we'll see how that goes, but, you know, again, I mean, it's one of those kind of longer term things just because of the supply yeah. um, issues with everything. Um, I, 
the hard part is like I have zero background in this. So my the learning curve it would take for me would be tremendous. And I don't think I have that sort of time. I really want to do, I know they're not currently allowed, but I really want to do a GLTC electric car because I think it would have some distinct advantages. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Especially with the all wheel drive modifier not being there anymore. Like it was right. the first year. Yeah. Yeah. And that was taken away too. Right. I remember seeing that in the rules I where think, it I was think, meant here and then it, didn't show up the yeah, second year. I, think I don't know the background really, on that, but no, I think it was really meant just to like nobody was coming with all wheel drive, so it's like, well, somebody show up and we'll see how it goes, sort of thing. Got like it. let's not let's not penalize something that we haven't actually seen. And I'm still kind of surprised that we haven't seen like maybe a GC Impreza or like one of the lightweight early generations of STI or something show right. up. Yeah, and there's yeah, there's a um, a GC. I think it's a GC that runs in a Club TR. He's running yep. at a few events, and I mean he's reasonably quick. I mean if you turn that thing into a you know proper wheel to wheel car, I mean he'd probably be right there you know pace wise. So I mean it's uh, definitely doable. But yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm with you though. I mean if that you know in, in the sprint race format would probably ideally suit that, assuming yep. you had the ability to charge or maybe like a second backpack that you, or ba- battery pack that you could swap out between races kind of right. thing. So you can kind of keep them on the trickle charger. I mean, that would be a, you know, a, a, a cool project and uh, you have, like you said, some distinct advantages, right. Um, yep. You know, the weight would probably work to his advantage. Yep. Um, you know, the all wheel drive, um, you know, the ability to do, you know, funny things with, uh, you know, uh, torque vectoring and, you know, and that, and that kind of stuff, um, yep. you know, instant torque at low speeds, you know, yeah, squirting out of every corner. Yeah, your power yeah. curve, your horsepower curve can be literally as flat as you want it to be and still have yeah. all the torque. I mean, it could it, it could potentially cause a few people a lot of problems. Yeah, it could. And, yeah. yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. And the uh the lack of a radiator. You, right. Yeah, yeah, because cooling lot. needs on a on an electric are way lower than an internal combustion motor. I mean, on the order of like you know, a quarter or less of the cooling you need, you know, just based on thermal efficiency of yeah. batteries in motors versus uh, internal combustion. Yeah. And I could nerd out with you about like what percentage of a car's downforce is just through the radiator opening, even if it's a uh, properly designed right. flow. I mean, that, that would be huge. That at yeah. road America, I think that would be like measurable miles per hour. Oh, for by, sure. By the yeah. End of a street. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I mean, so the drag advantage of, you know, doing an EV, if you did it right, would be pretty substantial too, especially with the power to weight limited feel or, uh, you know, set of rules like GLTC, yep. you know, at the longer tracks, especially, right. You know, you, you see, you know, like how well Swenson did this last week. I mean, that, that car was really kind of purposely built purpose built for those longer tracks, longer yep. straightaways. And it showed, right. I mean, he's got basically the same power to weight ratio with the modifiers included, um, than anybody else. I mean, he's running full arrow too, right? So he's taking some penalties and he's still able to. Uh, not at Road America. Know. He uh, yeah. he went with a spoiler instead of his full wing. Oh, he did. Okay. Put the so he, street tires back on. And so he was, I am i can't remember if that car still has a splitter or not. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was pretty negative or even points as that thing's ever been. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I need to look at those pictures a little bit more detail, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, so that kind of, 
you know, goes further to that point though, right? I mean, he was reducing drag, taking a little bit of, uh, you know, that power back that he had to give, give up with the modifiers and, you know, it, it seemed to work well for him. So, you know, I mean, dude's, the dude's EV quick. would be yet another step dude's you know, in that direction. So, so the, the thing I find interesting with you is the, the one thing, cause really, let's be honest. Um, I'm joking. Um, is <laughs> yeah, there's not much? Is we've got we've got the whole motorsports and kind of engineering thing, which which makes sense to me. But then I see that you do music covers, and yeah. like that you actually spend time to like this isn't like a sort of TikTok just turn on the front facing camera and go for right. it. Like you actually yeah. produce. Um. And I think do all the mute, all the instruments and vocals and everything, these, these covers and you, you're into guns. You're like, you have, <laughs> you're very interdisciplinary can, I mean, to like put it super blandly. Sure. Yeah. But how is there like a common theme that runs through all this or like, what does each one like give you something distinct that you need? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more of the distinct thing, but there, there is some linkage and, you know, I don't know if you've seen this in other, um, you know, kind of engineering or like technical disciplines, but a lot of people who are in technical disciplines from my experience have some sort of musical background. You know, I don't know if it's like the math of the stuff, you know, where, you know, if you're, let's say a trained musician, I mean, you're spending a lot of time working on theory or, you know, time signatures and everything's got like repetition and beats and that kind of thing. I mean, so I think a lot of that kind of mindset kind of, um, you know, works both in like technical disciplines, like engineering, absolutely, you know, math probably too, but, you know, other um, disciplines as well. Um, so I think there's a little bit more of a linkage there than, you know, maybe with the kind of standard car guy, right. You know, where, you know, a lot of car guys, I mean, this isn't any shade on anybody, but I mean, there's, you know, a big kind of a demographic mix across the car, car culture, but, you know, not a lot of guys do like technical engineering. You know, there's a lot of just pure drivers or people that, you know, just tinker and don't have formal um, you know, training anything. And again, that's not to sound negative, but, um, you know, I've, I've noticed that, um, you know, people that you know, tend to gravitate towards like technical vocations and technical interests have some uh, musical background. And I, I grew up, you know, doing music stuff. And I think a lot of, of it was, uh, you know, a product of like the school system that I was in, you know, I mentioned the town that I was in was 400 people. You know, so everybody did everything. I mean, you know, I played basketball, I ran track, I was in the band, I was in the choir, um, you know, all that stuff, right? I mean, it was kind of a, a, a good opportunity to experience a lot of different things in a smaller school system, um, you know, where if you go to a bigger school, like the one we moved to when we moved to Tennessee, you know, I had to basically choose one thing, you know, just because, you know, there's more kids doing things I and mean, there's a lot more going on from a practice and training perspective on sports. Um, so I kind of kept up with the music thing. I mean, I started off, you know, as I mentioned, in band um and uh it did a lot of singing and that kind of thing i mean i have a couple teachers that uh you know kind of um you know really got me interested in music early on and i've always been you know interested in you know pop music and you know the history of music you know jazz music uh, classical i mean it kind of runs the gamut but um uh so so i guess you know it kind of cut to the chase here so um the company i work for at sirius xm about 12 years ago 
Um, and this kind of goes to my technical guys have some musical background. We were sitting around in a group and these are guys that I've worked with now for you know majority of them, like 10 to 15 years at the time. And um, we started talking about uh, music and I knew a couple of the guys in the office played guitar and we decided to do a band. And so we got together and, um, and, and we started practicing and then we started performing, you know, out in bars and that kind of thing. And we were, we were doing that for a good solid 10 years or so before the pandemic. Um, you know, we practice at least once a month, you know, maybe a little bit more often, you know, do a few gigs per year. And uh, that kind of went away with the pandemic. And, uh, you know, something that I wanted to do for a long time was to learn a little bit more about uh, studio recording and, uh, you know, music production and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of, I guess, uh, dug into that in the early days of the pandemic. And, uh, it kind of stuck with me. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I still talk to the guys that I obviously work with, but, you know, about, you know, getting the band back together, but, um, you know, that's a little bit more difficult now because, you know, we've kind of gone different directions. Um, we'll probably do it at some point, but, um, yeah, yeah. The, the cover thing is kind of something that, uh, that, that I enjoy doing, especially if they sound okay. You know, I mean, if I can actually produce something that sounds good, I'm like, cool, you know, and I, sure. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the most bashful person in the world, so I don't mind putting myself out there and, uh, you know, say, Hey, look, I did this. So what's, do you feel like there's an advantage for someone? Because like you said, there are quite a few, uh, people in the grid life paddock who like only do car stuff yeah. or like have a normal day job and like only do car stuff or they're in the automotive business and then they only do car stuff in their spare time. Do you think, and then if so, what is it that there is an advantage or a disadvantage to having your hands in multiple things? Yeah, I think, I think it can be both, to be honest. I think it can be an advantage and a disadvantage because obviously, you know, you only have a certain finite amount of time to spend on anything. Um, you know, and if you're doing something as involving as a car hobby, the way we tend to do it, you know, especially like GLTC guys are, you know, another level it's of bad. commitment, right? It's bad. Um, you know, that, that can definitely take from other parts of your, uh, I guess, free time kind of pie. Um, but uh, yeah. It's bad. Uh, I made the yeah. joke before the show that I was going to eat these marshmallows and I. You cleaned off the bag. Is it gone? There, there was less than half a bag when I started. I'll be honest. But yeah, these are the last three. Anyway, half, a, well half a bag of marshmallows in one sitting is a lot. It's Seth. not. It wasn't. It was less than half a bag. Seth, he said less. Me. He said less. It was probably one marshmallow less than half a bag. There, it was still less than half a bag. We'll never know, engineers, because we don't didn't count. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I feel yeah, bad so, about okay, myself. So back to the question. Please so, save me. So I think I think it can help. Um, you know, I, I, I went through the, you know, why it might not help, right. Cause it takes, you know, your finite time away, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe it's more of a me thing, but you know, if I keep my brain fresh, um, I, you know, I usually am a little bit more creative, you know, like, cause say for example, if I'm working on a car and there's a problem that I'm scratching my head, head, around, head about, if I sat there and stared at it all day long, for me, it's probably less likely to have a solution occur to me than if I go off and do something else, you know, cause my brain, you know, kind of works, you know, in maybe a weird way, you know, where I'm kind of thinking about things in the background or as I'm falling asleep kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I tend to think about things too, but, uh, and I think kind of keeping your brain fresh, that's kind of a pro of, uh, you know, kind of having different interests and different, uh, 
you know, kind of free time activities, um, you know, cause I've always been a big proponent of like learning and, you know, kind of discovering the world and that kind of thing. And, and, and there's some parallels that you can gain from, you know, whether it's music or different engineering disciplines or different te- technical disciplines, you know, where if you expose yourself to enough of those, you can find applicability in cars, for example. Um, so I think, I think for me, it works better, um, to have, uh, kind of different, differing, uh, you know, hobbies and, uh, you know, kind of ways to spend my free time. And then it, it helps with burnout too, right? I mean, because burnout's definitely a thing. Um, I mean, I think during the especially. pandemic, especially, you know, for me, I've, I've suffered a, a bit from burnout. So having you know, different ways to kind of focus your time is, is a good thing as well. Well, especially right now, I mean, just in the past two days, now that Grid Life's had its last event of the season, like people I know, like we've been talking and messaging and they're just like, I'm tired like I'm ready for a break and we like, we love doing track stuff, but it's like, um, tired, just tired. I've I've gotten that is that, uh, that sense from a lot of people this year. Um, you know, and, and, and I think it's, you know, I mean, this grid life season has been pretty intense. Um, you know, I keep up with it, even though I'm not at all the events and, uh, I, I can definitely, you know, I I get the vibe from a lot of people that they're kind of done with the season and, ready to take some breaks is, you know, probably, especially the guys that have had recent, uh, you know, car breakage and, uh, damage issues. Um, they're, they're deserved, uh, some, uh, some, some downtime, I think at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I kind of wonder if some of that is kind of latent from the 2020 season when we had kind of a lot of time off and then we came back and then all of a sudden we had this full season in front of us. Right. But yeah. even the grid life season, like it lasted an extra month because we went down to NOLA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was really easy. Early season, right? Yeah. And then February at Coda for some of the GLTC drivers and, you know, NCM, a brand new track. I mean, it was, you know, if you try to do all the grid life events, which I think almost unfortunately the culture kind of says, yeah, you need to. Like you mm. need to cross all of them off your your card, your punch list to do. Right. I just and let I just I'm not sure if that's sustainable for individuals. Uh, I think it's great for grid life. Yeah. And um, it's good for the culture. It's good to go to like different tracks and new tracks, stuff like that. But like to ask the same people year after year, not to ask because grid life isn't asking, but like for the drivers to almost pressure each other into going right. to every event year after year. I mean, that's a ton of money. It's a ton of time off work. And then you've got to almost work double hard because you got to pay for what you're doing anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, yes. So it's, yeah, it's like the candle at both ends kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and, I, and I think about that too, right. You know, especially like the regulars like you and, you know, a lot of the other GLTC drivers, I mean, they're very well known names in grid life and a lot of time attack drivers too. Yeah. I mean, they, they, a lot of them have been in the, you know, the environment, right. In the grid life environment, you know, regardless of whether they're doing time attack or GLTC for quite a few years. And I think retention of those people has been pretty good, but I, I wonder that same thing too, right. You know, if people are kind of, you know, like you said, I mean, grid life isn't asking the people to no, do that, but you tend not. to, 
you tend to kind of gravitate towards doing what your friends, competitors, whatever are doing. And uh, it's, it's, it's a big, big commitment. And, you know, I mean, I did a full, uh, you know, gold pass season this year. I mean, I, I ended up going to four events um, and that was a lot for me. I mean, to the point where my wife started complaining, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, cause I mean, I, I do a bunch of other, you know, track events during the year too. And then Pikes Peak usually takes a week or, or two for, for me too, um, on a normal year. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot. I mean, I'd, it'll be interesting to see in coming years, you know, how much turnover, um, you know, the grid life series has, hopefully it's not a lot, you know, I mean, I like seeing a lot of the faces and names and seeing how people, you know, are improving themselves and their cars and stuff. I mean, that's a lot of what makes it interesting for me. Yeah. And it's, and it's not like everybody gravitates towards the mediocre drivers or the, you know, the average, you know, it's like, no, you've got to do the eight gold pass. You've got to have, you know, just having a trailer and truck anymore isn't good enough. Like you've got to have an RV and like a two car enclosed trailer behind it. And right. you've got to have now apparently a scissor lift. <laughs> so, oh, right. you know, I mean, there's, there's like all the, and I'm just, I'm, I'm giving ASM crap cause I think it's a great, it's a great idea, but um, yeah, it's just, you can't, I just, it's not sustainable for everybody. Nor yeah, is it, agreed. It's, and it's yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing the paddock over the last probably two seasons too. You know, we're used to driving into a grid life event and you're like, Oh, okay. I can see all the cars, you know, now everybody's got these stacker trailers and crazy rigs. I mean, you can't see the cars. All you can see is the white sided trailers when you pull into an event. <laughs> and the RVs don't forget the RVs. Yeah. And that's, and that is one thing that strikes me every time I go to, you know, the, the unnamed event or some of the smaller, uh, gingerman events is all of a sudden like, wow, the paddock seems empty, so but much it's bigger, but yeah. it's not just empty, <laughs> but yeah, it's sight line. Right. Like you can actually see down the paddock from eye level. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely changing times, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's definitely not sustainable at the current rate of, you know, kind of growth rate, you know, if you want to say it that way. Um, it'll, it, it'll be, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll do well. I mean, you know, I talked to Adam and, you know, Abe quite a bit and I mean, grid life is literally like the best thing that's ever been in the world me you know, to do with motorsports just how it kind of pulls from like grassroots and you know the the culture and the people i mean it's such a positive environment i'm sure that'll you know stay the same or even get better over the time or over time but uh yeah the uh the, the arms race of uh you know whether it's cars or now trailers and rigs and all that stuff i mean it's uh you know definitely a, a huge commitment probably for anybody that does it I guess that'd be the question for you then is how do you navigate it? Uh, being a competitor, being somebody who's uh, in the Midwest. So at least, you know, you don't have as far to travel as some of these other right. goofballs who come up from Florida and stuff. Right. Um, like over the years, you've been in grid life for longer than I have the car, the caliber of cars, caliber of drivers who continually come in or keep improving is staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're largely with the same car. Granted, it's being developed. You're getting better. Um, how do you navigate kind of, I don't even want to say the pressure, but just like the, the culture that's doing its thing around what you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah and it, it does, it becomes a challenge, right. You know, especially with, you know, kind of my 
chosen kind of caliber of car, the specific car I've, I've run, um, you know, there's a limit to its development, right? You know, I mean, it's not ever going to be like crazy, you know, top podium finisher, you know, if it has a full field, you know, I've gotten some trophies, you know, from time to time, right. But it's usually at the lesser attended events or, or Gingerman, right. Cause I've run a million laps at Gingerman. It always helps, um, you know, with the, with the lap times and the, in the, uh, the hardware um, department. But I, I, I try to not think too much about the uh, keeping up with the Joneses thing, to be honest. Um, you know, my, I'm, my primary interest in grid life is to go out, have fun, you know, improve myself, improve my car, you know, hang around with my buddies. Um, so not, I try not to think about that too much, but I think one of the things that kind of keeps me from getting burnt out on the arms race is that I try to keep it simple. And I mean, I think that kind of goes back to the, you know, my choice of cars, right. You know, where I mentioned before, I hate working on cars at the track. Um, you know, I've even gone to events where I intentionally don't bring all the tools I can, because if I do, then, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's, you know, one of those mindsets where, you know, okay, I'm ready to, you know, burn the midnight oil if I have a breakdown and stuff. And to me, that kind of takes some of the fun out of it. I mean, if in my younger years, if I was 15, 20 years younger, I'd probably be all over it. You know, the all nighters and, you know, busting knuckles and, uh, you know, under flashlights, putting an engine in that kind of thing, um, you know, three o'clock in the morning, but that's not really me anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the short answer is I kind of try to manage my own thing and not, you know, think about, uh, you know, too much of what other people are doing that might be, uh, you know, wanting to make me jealous or whatever. <laughs> so, and that, that almost seems too simple to me. And I think I want to push you. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you stay on track? How do you stay within yourself and your own personal goals when all of this is happening around you yeah yeah i don't like, know it's it's an interesting like question. I, I, interesting I find that yeah i find the the answer of like i don't pack all the tools i can because this is my limit like that there's a boundary right there that you've made that's like i'm willing to go this far to fix my car if needed but no farther because it's the hanging out and the vibes that are more important to me. Are there anything else? Is there anything else like that? Like tangible things that maybe other drivers and people who are around the community can take away from that? Yeah, I think, I mean, for, from my perspective, I think you have to kind of balance everything, right? I mean, life is a balance, you know, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, right? But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not one to burn the candle on both ends, you know, at this point in my life. And, you know, I mean, enjoyment of motorsports, I think, you know, and we've said this a couple of times is, you know, enough of, or as much about the community as it is about doing well. You know, I mean, everybody's competitive, you know, I'm competitive, but I'm probably not as competitive as I could be. Otherwise I wouldn't be like leaving tools at home and, you know, kind of drawing that arbitrary line on what I'm willing to do on the track. But, um, you know, I think, what I've found, um, you know, and I, and I tend to be, I, I used to be a little bit different, right. When I was doing competitive cycling, for example, I mean, I would literally train myself to the bone, I mean, to the point where, you know, I literally couldn't do anymore and had to wait a week before I could, you know, get enough mental motivation to, you know, kind of start back over again. And, and that's hard, right? So I try to, you know, and that's probably, you know, a lot of the reason why I kind of have that mindset of, you know, trying to determine what your limit is before you get into something, you know, and then A, you're not going to be as disappointed if something happens because things do happen. 
Um, and it, you know, it kind of keeps that, you know, the kind of mental health, mental well-being, um, you know, kind of on the right side of uh, in- insanity, <laughs> you know, for me, where, you know, if you're, you know, trying to balance your experience in motorsport, I mean, it ends up being, you know, at least in my experience, more enjoyable than, you know, always going for the gusto and, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, some of that probably comes from, you know, from age and that kind of thing, too. But uh, that, that's kind of what my mindset is. You got to, you got to, you got to make the balance work. And that almost sounds like uh, an engineer's answer. It almost sounds like, so he, we have a goal. Like we, we need to build this thing. We need to design this thing. Right. These are our constraints, which is what makes engineering actually work and interesting are the constraints to it. Yeah. And so you work backwards. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You work backwards and everything's a compromise too, right? You know, which is probably analogous to what we're saying here, right? Where, you know, you have your constraints, you have, you know, a goal that you have in mind, but to get that goal, you, you know, constantly have to choose, you know, what's important, you know, priorities and what those compromises are going to look like. And yeah, so I think, I mean, that's pretty, uh, I think in tune with, um, you know, the, the, you know, kind of, kind of the engineering discipline, you know, and that's probably, you know, kind of what pervades kind of that mindset too, right. Where, um, you know, where you have to look at what your constraints are and, you know, I'm not going to rebuild an engine overnight. Right. You know, I mean, so I'm not going to bring tools that are involved in lifting an engine out of an engine bay, for example. Right. So, I mean, you know, so I think, uh, I think that that's a good, good way to summarize it. So in that same frame then it would make sense to me that your prep level is maybe a little bit reflects that i guess is that you don't you don't kind of skimp on prep because oh i'll just do it at the track like you don't want to work on stuff at track you want to show up drive hang out put it back on the trailer go home yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a, kind of another good example where I'll, I'll I'll usually go. You know, I wouldn't say overboard on prep, but I'll make sure my stuff's right. Um, you know, and if you've seen my cars, you know, I usually leave them in pretty good shape. Um, you know, I think presentation of uh, you know cars is as important as uh, you know all the go fast bits. You know, because you know, and I think a, a lot of ways the prep level kind of shows. Um, you know, the, the level of, I guess, professionalism and, a you know, kind of non-professional sense on, you know, how seriously you take things. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my, my prep level is probably a bit more than, you know, some guys that are, you know, saying, well, you know, I think the transmission's working, let's put it on the trailer and I'll fix it after the first session. You know, I mean, that just doesn't resonate with me, you know, and I've, I've talked to the professional awesome guys a little bit. I was on a podcast with them about a year ago, you know, the whole send it mentality where, gosh, I I I absolutely hate it. (laughs) And I'm glad it's kind of seems like it's going away a little bit because it's, you're, you're more optimistic. Right way to do you're, it. you're more uh, uh, starry-eyed about that than I am. I'm not sure if it's going away. But if I could burn okay. anything <laughs> in grid life, it would be send it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, well, and I mean, because at the end of the day, it ends up being a safety thing, right? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we're we're there to have fun. We're there to go fast, but going fast has consequences. And if you're not prepared, or if you're sending it and you shouldn't. You know, just in a general sense, I mean, bad things will happen 
And if they do, and you're not prepared either safety wise, or, you know, if your bolts aren't you're on your hubs aren't tight or whatever, right. I mean, you know, somebody can end up getting hurt. I mean, you know, that, at the end of the day, and we all want to go home yep. and we all want to go home with, uh, you know, hopefully intact equipment and bodies. And, uh, you know, so I think a lot of that goes to kind of that mindset too. Well, especially in GLTC where I live, like it's not just about your car and about you as a driver, like if, if something goes wrong in your car and you lose control over it, like you've got 30, 40 other people around you somewhere right? who also want to go home yeah. in one piece. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, that, and that's kind of one of the things And I've done, you know, a couple like, um, you know, like lemons type races and that kind of thing. I mean, I don't really count that as like wheel to wheel per se, but you know, wheel to wheel, it, it, it kind of adds to that equation, right? Where you're not only responsible for your own stuff or maybe your competitor's track time if your stuff breaks down. But if you break down at the wrong place on track and you're in the middle of a pack of 50 people, I mean, you could take 10 people out, right? You know, and I mean, the risks of that are, uh, you know, definitely uh, definitely there. So I think that's uh, that's another good point to kind of keep in mind when uh, when you decide what your proper prep level is on your car. And seems like it goes back to what you mentioned too, is like, what do you want to do? Like, yeah. what, what's your goal? Like if your goal is to just thrash and like make YouTube sensation videos and things like that, uh, that's a very different attitude than I want to go. I want to perform my best and I want to go home. Yeah. Like those yeah, are- and, and both are valid, right? I mean, a lot of people make, you know, some good views, money, whatever from the thrash and go YouTube sensation things. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I always, I, I tend towards the latter <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's a mindset thing, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to agree with you that they're, they're all valid. I have a, I have a hard time with the first one. Yeah, I, I do too. And you know, and some of the guys that I, I do some, stuff with, you know, tend to be a little bit more of that, uh, you know, sensationalistic YouTube, you know, sort of mindset. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, ride the wave with them, but I'm not going to lead the charge on that kind of stuff. Cause uh, you know, it's um, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, to be honest. Well, you're- you know, if my car wasn't ready for an event and I put it in the trailer anyway, I probably wouldn't be able to sleep until I fix it. Same. Well, you're, I mean, you're the guy, as you told the story that you show up at Pike's peak and nobody's really taken the crew chief role. So you go out, buy a couple whiteboards yeah. and you take control. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and that's kind of how I'm wired too, right? I mean, I think it's more of the engineering mentality kind of the project, uh, you know, management kind of mindset. You know, it's a lot of what engineering ends up being is, you know, pushing papers and managing schedules and that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's in my skill set, but, you know, a lot of car guys don't really do that. Um, you know, they either choose not to, or it's not part of their, their skill set. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Pikes Peak is, you know, probably a good example, right. Where there's always, even if you're, you know, overly prepped, there's always a huge list of things to do and managing that list and making sure things are done and who's working on what, and, you know, making sure that things are, you know, deterministically checked off of a list to make sure that they're not going to, you know, endanger somebody or in Pikes Peak is like the perfect example of, yep. uh, you know, where send it doesn't work. No. People um, die because you know, the consequences are so high. People die there. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I mean, we went in, uh, 
gosh, what was it? 2019. And, uh, it was a motorcycle, um, accident, but, you know, uh, Carlin Dunn, a uh, long time, um, you know, Pikes Peak competitor, you know, world renowned motorcyclist, um, you know, lost his life. And, you know, it happens every five, six years, somebody ends up dying at the, at the peak. So there's real consequences. I mean, motorcycles have been kind of the, 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 you know, the latest kind of uh, casualty giver at, at Pikes Peak, but, you know, historically there's been a lot of car fatalities too. So for sure. Well, what shout outs do you want to give? What, uh, what plugs do you have? We, uh, we talked about speed street a little bit, but what else? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, yeah, the speed street stuff again, I mean, you can look me up on, uh, you know, I do have a website, speedstreetllc.com. There's a way to keep, um, or to get in touch with me there. Um, if you have any interest and, in, you know, even want to chat about car stuff, um, you know, from a technical standpoint, I'm usually down for that. You know, I have an Instagram, a couple of Instagram accounts. Um, I have a Speed Street LLC Instagram account. My main personal Instagram account is Arico Caruso. Um, long story there. My father-in-law actually gave me that name. Um, he was drinking a little bit too much one night and it stuck and my daughter changed it when she was like six and it's been that same way ever since. But, uh, so that's a good way to get in touch with me. Um, you know, I'm involved with the, you know, a lot of the guys that are in the, uh, the community, you know, Cody Loveland, you know, I, um, you know, he's got kind of a new gig coming up, um, out to Las Vegas for a couple of years, working for a newer company called, I guess they're not really new, but, uh, um, called supercar system. Um, you know, they do like engine development kind of bespoke, uh, um, engineering stuff for cars. So he's going to try to help them build that brand. So, you know, I'll be, uh, probably working out, working with him a little bit more, um, working with Paul Gerard on the you know various projects that he's got going on. Um, I guess from a, a plug perspective, that's more of like a, you know, who's, who's who on my friends list kind of thing. For but, sure. uh, I, I guess, uh, that, that, that works for sure. <laughs> appreciate your time and you uh, coming and hanging out and sharing your stuff with us. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully it was interesting for you guys too. And uh, it was for me. Yeah. Well, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Eric. And this is track walking. We'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Awesome.